Welcome, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches today, Blountstown, Chipley, and Mariana. Um, before we jump in to the second part of our series entitled Waiting for Christmas, uh, we want to pause and celebrate uh, by what you allowed God do, to do through you for being for others in our community. So two weeks ago, we invited everyone at all of our churches to give $4 to bless foster kids and the families who have foster children in their homes. And so our goal was to give every foster family the opportunity to have a special family night or a family experience, for example, like going out to eat with no worry about how to pay for it, it's all been paid for, or maybe going to the movies together or some kind of family outing or maybe even buying uh, like groceries and supplies uh, just to, sp- to create a special evening or event or experience at their home. So here is how all of you at all of our churches contributed to help these families have a very special experience. Blountstown, you gave $3,012. Chipley, you gave $1,657. And Mariana, you gave $7,172 for a total of $11,841.44. So thank you so much for blessing these families. Um, And here's the thing that I know. A lot of times when we give to people who are blessing and serving in our community, we don't get to see the firsthand impact of the generosity that we're making. But I'm just going to tell you. With your help and these gifts that every family is going to get, these families are going to be able to have a special experience during the Christmas season that is just going to help them understand that God is for them at a whole nother level because of the way you as a church are for them. Now, on top of that, this is not all that you did. On top of that, uh, you also, at all of our churches, you picked up gingerbread tags uh, two weeks ago, and you purchased over 207 gifts for all the foster children in the communities that we have churches in. So again, thank you. Thank you so much for blessing these children who desperately need to understand the love of Jesus uh, during this season. So yeah, um, man, I just can't thank you guys enough for being four people in our community. And the reason that we're so passionate about this, if you're, if you're new to RCC, the reason we say that we should have this no strings attached love and generosity is because that's what our Lord and our Savior Jesus was known for. God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave. And he gave with grace and he gave in abundance. And we believe that we should be doing that as a church as well. So, um, man, I'm just so excited. Hey, don't forget all of our campuses. I know you talked about it in hosting, but don't forget to be inviting. Think about this on a couple more weeks and we're gonna be experiencing Christmas Eve together. So think about who in your work, in your neighborhood, who in your family you would love to have with you for a Christmas Eve experience for our students and our adults. And then on the other side of the card that was on your seat today is also an experience for children um, in Wombaland, which is all pre-K, and then Upstreet, which is our children in our elementary age. It's a great opportunity to invite some families as well as well because they will not want to miss what's going to be happening for children um, in Upstreet and Wombaland during Jingle Jam on Christmas Eve morning. So make sure you're inviting people. So go ahead and grab your Bibles to the RCC app. Go to the talk notes if you want to follow along that way um, because I'm excited to be in part two of our Christmas series that we've entitled Waiting for Christmas because during this, this uh, series, what we're doing is we're talking about a struggle that no one wants to talk about at Christmas time. But it is a significant part of the Christmas story as well as a significant part of our lives as followers of Jesus. And you go, well, what is that? What is the struggle? Well, it is the weariness and the hopelessness and the tiredness that every Christ follower eventually feels as they're waiting on God to act, as they're waiting on God to come through. Now, here's what I know. As adults, 
all of our Christmas experiences are a little bit different. But I bet if we told our Christmas experience from our childhood, they'd all be a little bit similar. While they would not be the same, there would be some similarity. And in fact, one of the similarities would be this. Do you remember how the, as a kid, you could not wait for Christmas to get here? And if you're old as I am, remember getting the Christmas catalogs in about October and you start looking through all these catalogs? In fact, I told my wife the other day, I said, oh, we're really getting older because it went out of style for a while to send out Christmas catalogs because everything went digital. And then this year we started getting catalogs or this year, last year we started getting catalogs again. I'm like, wow, it's amazing. You know, they're starting to send out catalogs again. So it's kind of interesting how you live long enough. You start seeing a cycle of things, right? So um, I even looked through some of those things. I was like, Ooh, I hope my grandkids don't see that stuff. But anyhow, it's kind of interesting because it's like, you know, we start anticipating. In fact, most of you, as a child, you probably had some place in your house where you counted down the days before Christmas because, I mean, Christmas is just, when you're a child, I mean, it just moves so slow getting to Christmas, right? I used to have a place in my room where I would just kind of count down the days. I'd have me a little calendar, and I'd mark off the days at the end of every day. Okay, this many more days to Christmas. And so you knew Christmas morning would eventually come, and, and you knew exactly what the routine was going to be for Christmas morning or Christmas Eve. I mean, you knew it was going to get here. Well, here's the thing. If you took how it felt waiting for Christmas as a child and you multiplied that by maybe a million, couple million, that's what it felt like for the people living in the first century waiting for the very first Christmas. See, we only had to count down two or three months they had been waiting for 2,000 years. So if you know what it feels like to wait on God to do something and you have felt frustrated, which is most of us at some point in time, like God hasn't come through and he hasn't done what I wanted him to do in this situation, then today is for you. Because we're gonna be talking about one of my favorite Christmas stories and it's about a story of two people who had to wait on God. And they had to wait on God in some very difficult and uncertain circumstance. In fact, they have been waiting on God and they were wondering, God, are you ever gonna do something? Are you gonna do what you said that you would do? Now, now the reason this is so relevant for us today is this. If you're not there in your life, if, if, if you're just kind of new to this whole thing of following God and, and you haven't experienced having, waiting, having to wait on God to act, if you're not there now, at some point in your life, God is going to seem quiet. God is going to seem silent. God is going to seem inactive in your life. And it's going to appear like he is completely absent from your circumstance or your situation. And in that absence or that apparent absence, I should say, you're gonna start wondering, wait a minute, why am I still following Jesus? Why am I still serving? Why am I still giving? Why am I still obeying? Why am I still believing all of this God stuff? Like this isn't doing anything for me and God is not doing anything for me. So it doesn't feel like there's any point in following Jesus. I might just as well do whatever I wanna do, however I wanna live and when I wanna live, the way I wanna live and quit trying to do the right thing. In fact, for some of you who are at our churches today, Blountstown, Chipley and Mariana, it's like, you're going, that's precisely why I'm not a follower of Jesus. 
Because there was a point in my life when I needed God, when I looked for God, and, and I didn't find him. I didn't see him, and I prayed, God, please do this for me, or please do this for my family, or God, please don't let this happen. And you didn't see God do what you wanted him to do. And when he didn't come through for you in that moment, you decided, well, God's not for me. There's no point believing in God. You weren't interested in following Jesus because he seemed silent, distant, and uninvolved from your life. Well, let me just go ahead and say, if that's the feelings you have, you're not alone. Those are normal emotions and experiences that people go through when they have to go through a waiting time, waiting for God to act. But as you're about to see, those feelings were also very present and they were very powerful in the very first Christmas. So let me read you this story of these two people who were in a waiting season, who felt exactly what we have felt or one day we might feel. Because in this story, we're reminded that it was, seems like that God is absent and that all hope is gone. There is so much more happening than any of us could imagine, that God is behind the scenes doing things, preparing things that we could never imagine. So the story is found in Luke chapter one. If you wanna take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter one, we're gonna be re begin reading in verse five. So here is how the story goes. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, now, that means little to us, but remember, Luke was a doctor, and he got into the details. And so basically, Luke's readers, they would read this, and this would be a reference point for them because they all knew who Herod was, and they also understood when Herod reigned. And so Luke is basically saying, hey, if you question any of this, this, this is the specific time frame when this story happened, and so you could go back, and, and at the time he was writing this, he was saying you could go back and find people who were living that time frame, and they can verify what I'm about to tell you. So he goes on, he says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Now that is significant because what this means is both Zechariah and Elizabeth were from priests' families. So their daddies were priests in the temples, their granddaddies were priests in the temples, their great-granddaddies were priests in the temple, and you keep going back in their genealogy, they were all priests. Now, here's what happens. In verse six, we bump into some tension in the story. Notice the tension that begins to be introduced here. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Now, let me just stop before we introduce the full tension. In other words, here are two people who were upright. In other words, they were doing all the right things. They were living the right way. In fact, Luke says, when it comes to their obedience, they were blameless, there was, literally it means there was no hypocrisy. So if you had investigated their lives, you would have found that their integrity was impeccable. In other words, what they said they believed and how they choose to, chose to behave, it lined up perfectly. They were blameless. Now, that kind of obedience is impressive in good times, right? But it's even more remarkable given what we're about to discover in the next verse, verse seven. But they had no children 
because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. So Luke says for years they had prayed and they had prayed and they had prayed for God to give them a child, but they had no children, which in a culture where legacies were created in part based upon the size of your family, this is about the worst thing that could happen to you and especially to your family. So Elizabeth and Zechariah, they had prayed for a child to give them a child, maybe when they were in their 20s, but there was no answer. And they prayed for God to give them a child when they were in their 30s, but there was no answer. And, and maybe in their 40s, they prayed for God to give them a child, this miracle of a child, but there was still no answer. And now they're past the age when a woman can have kids. And it's too late for them. As a matter of fact, it's impossible for them. And God has not done what they've asked him to do. And this is incredible in spite of this. They remain upright and blameless. They remain faithful through it all. Now, if you're sitting here today and going, how did they do that? Because I've been waiting on God and I've been waiting on God and I've been waiting on God and I am so tempted to walk away because God hasn't showed up and he's not come through for me. Why would they do that? It is because they believed a promise that God made Abraham 2,000 years earlier that from the nation of Israel, the Messiah would come. He says the Messiah is going to come. Christmas is going to come. But they've been waiting on Christmas for 2,000 years. But here's the crazy part of this. That promise hasn't come true for 2,000 years. As a matter of fact, there was a lot in their history as a nation that would have made them question whether God would have ever came through. In fact, you may remember that after God made the promise to Abraham, Abraham had a son who then had a son, who then had like 12 sons, and I know that's only 10 fingers, but he had like 12 sons. And then guess what happens? They're supposed to be building a nation, but there's this famine that comes, and they move to Egypt, and they're eventually enslaved in Egypt, and for 400 years, they are enslaved. And they're wondering, has God forgotten us? Is that promise true? Is there going to be a Messiah? And then eventually they're led out of slavery by Moses back to their homeland. And they become the nation of Israel. And now they're thinking, okay, God is going to come through. And Christmas is going to come. The Messiah is going to come. But then the nation of Israel decides, oh no, we're going to be like all the other nations. And we're going to get us some kings. So they anointed king as their first, or Saul as their first king. And then after Saul, because he didn't honor God, they, God says, okay, no David's going to be the next king, the David that you know as king. And then David had a son named Solomon, remember? And during Solomon's reign, I mean, Israel was at the height of their power, the peak of its power economically and politically. And everybody's thinking, oh, wow, things are going well. Maybe the Messiah is going to come now. But he didn't. And after Solomon, things began to disintegrate really fast, and, and the nation had a civil war, and they divided. Remember, we talked about it last week. They divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And then as we talked about last week, other countries began to invade and conquer them. And from the time of Solomon to the time of Zechariah, their nation was in such turmoil and upheaval that Israel changed hands 25 times times. Not only that, but for the 400 years, it's known as the 400 silent years, 
God didn't even send them a message through a prophet. In fact, the last message that a prophet sent them or said to them was, you need to do this, this, and this. Otherwise, God is going to come and smite you. And then he goes silent for 400 years. And so you can imagine, by the first century, most of the Jewish people had stopped believing that God was going to keep his promise, that he was going to send his son. And they lost all faith and all hope that God was present and active in their world. And then maybe the final blow that happened to their faith was in 65 BC, 65 years before Jesus was born. During the time, most likely, that Zechariah and Elizabeth's parents, uh, our fathers, would have been priests in the temple in Jerusalem. You may have heard of a guy by the name Pompey the Great. He was a Roman political and military leader. Well, around 65 BC, he marched on Jerusalem and all the Jewish people, they gathered inside the temple walls to protect themselves. But after three months of attack, Pompey and his troops, they broke through and they massacred 12,000 Jewish people. And if that wasn't enough, Pompey did something that to the Jewish people was absolutely unspeakable and unbelievable because nobody was supposed to be able to do this. But he marched right into the temple and then right into the holy of holies where the presence of God was supposed to be dwelling. And all the Jews held their breath because only a priest who was consecrated, was prepared, was allowed to enter the holy of holies once a year, and they believed that God would strike dead anyone who entered that was not that person. But to their amazement, Pompey, he arrogantly marched right in, looked around, didn't take anything. He turned around and walked out and told the priests they could go back to worshiping God the next day. And all the Jewish people are going, God has left the building. Ichabod. The glory of the Lord has departed, and we did not know it. And in that moment, many of the Jewish people decided, apparently, God's not worth following and obeying and waiting on, and we're not even sure that he's present because we watched what Pompey the Great just did, and they gave up hope, and they walked away from their faith. So that makes this story that we're reading absolutely even more incredible. Because here are Zechariah and Elizabeth. They are still believing they're still obeying, they're still trusting, and they're still waiting in spite of the fact that their national prayers have not been answered and their personal prayers have not been answered. See, you might want to write this down. The truth is, God has never promised that your obedience will always lead to your preferred outcome. But don't miss what I said there. God has never promised that your obedience will lead to your preferred outcome. And the tension of that statement, because most of us are like, yeah, I concur with that. The tension of that comes when you have to decide in these moments when God is not showing up, will I still follow and trust? Will I still believe and wait even when God doesn't do what I want him to do when I want him to do it? Well, Zechariah and Elizabeth they believed that God had not abandoned them. And they believed that God had not abandoned their nation. And they believed that God was still going to keep that promise of the Messiah, that Christmas was coming. 
So they continued to do the right thing and Zechariah kept serving as a priest and this is where the story takes a very interesting twist. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So you gotta understand, this is an amazing honor. It maybe happened to a priest once in a lifetime where you were selected to go into the Holy of Holies and make a sacrifice for the people for the entire year. But this was so scary because they, they, would, they, they believed that if you went in and you were not consecrated and you were not, in the, in, in, you were not um, sanctified before God appropriately as you should have been, that, that you'd be struck dead. And so they would tie this bell on the robes of the priest and they'd put a string or a rope maybe around his ankle in case God struck him dead and, and they would know they didn't hear that noise and they could just pull him out without having to go in and risk their own lives. So, so this is a very big deal in their culture. And, and Zechariah is about to get this honor. Notice what happens in verse 10. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Now, if you know much about the Bible, you know this is kind of the sta standard angel introduction. Do not be afraid, right? Because every time an angel showed up, it was terrifying to people. I mean, he was gripped with fear, meaning it was terrifying. Now, you got to understand something here. Zechariah, he's a good guy. He's upright, and he's blameless, and it scares him. Imagine if an angel showed up to you at your house. You would be confessing sin that you thought you had forgot. Yeah, God, I did this and I did this. I mean, like, because we're not quite so upright and blameless, are we? So the angel tries to calm him down because he's got this very, very important message for Zechariah. Notice the message. Your prayer has been heard. And every time I read this story, I think that's not just a message for Zechariah. That is a message for us as well. Your prayer has been heard. Because there's times when you're in a waiting season and you're praying for your marriage, you're praying for your children, you're praying for your finances, you're praying for your physical condition, you're praying for your school, you're praying desperately for God to show up. Sometimes you would just like to know that your prayer has been heard. Forget about God answering your prayer the way you want it answered. You just like to know that God has heard it. And I just want to say to you today, just because you haven't seen anything happen doesn't mean God didn't hear. And I think the word for many of you today is that your prayer has been heard. Then the angel, he gives this incredible message. He says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. And this is the John who became known as John the Baptizer. We, we know him as John the Baptist, right? In fact, he goes on to say, he will be a joy and a delight to you. Now, 
Wouldn't you parents love for an angel to show up when your child's about to be born and say, this child's going to be a joy and a delight, right? He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and sometimes people go, what, what does all that mean? Well, in the Old Testament time, there was a vow known as the Nazarite vow. And a Nazarite vow, when a person took the Nazarite vow, they were set aside to do something great for God. They were committing, they were consecrating, they were sanctifying themselves to do something great for God. And so when you look at the Old Testament, you see that the prophets and the priests and the king and anyone who took the Nazarite vow were not to drink any kind of strong drink. In fact, when you go to the New Testament, you find the same thing. The qualification for an elder or a person who would be a pastor or a church staff member says they're not to be given to any kind of strong drink. And so the idea is you can either be controlled by some other substance or you can be controlled by the Spirit. It's why the whole, why the apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 says, don't be drunk with wine where is debauchery or dissipation that comes out of that, but be what? Filled with the Spirit of God. And so this is just an indication that John is being set apart for something amazing for God's kingdom. And I just want to say, if God's ever spoken to you about spiritual leadership, one of the things you want to be more focused on is being filled with the Spirit of God than being filled with anything else. Because there's always a level of consecration and sanctification that God calls leaders to. Christ followers all, but especially leaders. Notice he goes on. He says, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he'll go on before the Lord in spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In other words, Zechariah, this son of yours, he is going to play a significant role in the fulfillment of this 2,000-year-old promise that the Messiah is coming. In fact, his job is going to be to point people to the Messiah, whoever those people are that will listen to prepare people for the Lord. So basically, angels saying, hey, this waiting that you've had to do, it's all been necessary to get you ready. It was necessary because it got you ready. And let me just say to you, if you're in a season of waiting, understand that the waiting, it is in that desperation when we're saying, God, what are you up to? What's going on? That God begins to reveal all the other idols, all the other things that we're leaning into instead of God to find our hope, to find our strength. Because we looked at last week, he says, what do you do? Those who hope in the Lord... Not hope in anything else, but hope in the Lord. He says, will renew their strength. They will soar like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And, and basically, the angel's saying, listen, all of this has prepared you to be the person you need to be when I fulfill my promise. Now, Zacharias, in shock with this, and um, I don't think his response is surprising it's probably how we'd all respond. Notice verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Literally, he's saying, I'm not going to say she's old because I hear you angels don't keep secrets really well, but I'm thinking this is a little bit late. Like, you should have showed up when we were in our 20s or our 30s, and we were praying, and we were crying out for a kid, but we're too old. I'm an old man, and my wife is well beyond childbearing age. Like, no offense, Mr. Angel. 
I think you got the wrong couple. Notice verse 19. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. Like, how can you say you're not sure this is going to happen? This is an angel talking to you. In fact, he goes on, he says, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Then he goes on, and now you'll be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their proper time. If you underline things or highlight things in your Bible, underline that word proper times or that phrase proper time. Because it has the idea that in God's appointed time, when you're right, when the situation's right, at the proper, appropriate, appointed time of God. In other words, it's going to happen. You can mark my word. At the right moment, when the timing is right, you're going to have a son. But until you have him, you're not going to be able to speak. And you're not going to be able to speak because that's going to be a reminder of you that God is at work and you should pay attention to what he's doing in you and around you. And then it goes on. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. Does anybody hear the bell? Everybody listen for the bell. Listen for the bell. Is he dead? He goes on. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. So he comes out, he's got big eyes and he's pointing. He's like making all these signs, you know, trying to help them to figure out what just happened to him. But notice what happens next. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And then she says, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. See, God did exactly what he said he was going to do, but it wasn't going to happen on their timetable. It was only going to happen on his timetable because he had a bigger plan in mind for their life. Now, here's the thing. This isn't even the best part of this story. John being born is just part of the opening act of the Christmas story. And we're going to lean into the next part in Luke next week. But God, you got to understand, he was far more active and at work in Israel than anybody ever realized. And I'm telling you, God is far more active and at work in your life than you realize. Even when he seems silent even when he seems uninvolved, even when your prayer has not been answered. He's about to do what he promised he would do 2,000 years ago. Listen to what Luke writes in verse 26. Here's what he says. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel, there he is again, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So after years and years and years of waiting and waiting, God is about to come to earth as a human. But if you had asked all the Jewish people on the day that this statement was made to Mary, to show you evidence 
that God was alive, that God was active in their nation. They show you evidence that God was there and that he cared about their situation. There was nothing tangible they could point to in that moment. But it did not mean that God was not at work. It did not mean that Christmas wasn't coming. And see, this is our story, isn't it? It's the dilemma that many of you feel right now. It's why some of you, you feel hopeless. It's why many of you feel weary and possibly on the verge of just throwing in a towel when it comes to following Jesus. Because there's no evidence of God's activity in your life. There's no evidence of God's activity in your marriage or in your family or in your situation. And you've been thinking like, do I believe or do I leave? Do I give or do I just live for myself? Do I forgive or do I just have nothing to do with that person anymore? Should I try to have another conversation with them or do I give up on the relationship? Do I hold on to my dating values or do I just say yes to the very next opportunity that comes available? Do I fight for my marriage or do I just file for divorce like everybody else? Do I hold on to my integrity or do I cheat like everybody else cheats? See, the question for you is this. Will you choose to join Zachariah and Elizabeth, and so many others. And if you want to read the list, you can see it in Hebrews chapter 11. Who through all those years, they chose to keep on following, even when there was no evidence that God was active. Or will you, in your season of waiting, in this season of silence, in this season of seemingly inactivity on God's part, will it lead you to walk away? And as I said to you last week, when you're tired and you're weary because waiting makes you tired and weary, you tend to make what you think are temporary decisions that not only have impact for this life, but in a lot of ways impact for eternity. We try to make a temporary decision that has devastating consequences so many times when we're weary and tired. So here's what the Christmas story teaches us. It reminds us of this. When it feels like your hope is gone, trust God and carry on because Christmas is coming to your life. And you go, how do you, how do you know that? Well, it's like we talked about last week. Emmanuel, God with us. Every time we celebrate Christmas, it's a reminder that God is with us me. So when you have doubts and you have questions and you don't understand and God's not done anything for you lately and you don't feel like it's worth carrying on, the best thing you can do is choose to trust God anyway and keep following as we talked about last week. Keep your eyes on God and with Follow with anticipation, with hope. Sit on the edge of your seat and see what God is going to do in your marriage and see what God is going to do in your family and see what God is going to do in your work situation and see what God is going to do. What's the miracle that God's going to do as you wait with hope and focus on God? Because you can be confident of this one thing. Christmas is coming. The story of Christmas is a reminder that your faith and your hope in God, it is not misplaced. It is a reminder that when God is silent or seems silent, he is not uninvolved. It's a reminder that God can do anything that he chooses to do. And it's a reminder that God pays attention and he's moved by and blessed by those who remain faithful and obedient, even when it's hard. 
But most of all, the Christmas story is a reminder that your faith and your hope in God's promise is not in vain. So here's what I know. As we said last week when we started this conversation, waiting is not easy. Waiting makes us weary. Waiting makes us tired. And we're tempted to give up and walk away. But we never win when we walk away. We only win when we stay focused on God. Listen, it's never easy to be faithful and do the right thing when it feels like that God's not doing anything for you. But whenever it feels like all your hope is gone, trust God and carry on because your Christmas, it will come. So as you're experiencing this Christmas season and whatever situation you're in, I really hope you'll pause and you'll thank God for the reminder of the Christmas story that it proves that God is still here, that he's still involved, he's still active in your life. And for those of you who've never chose to follow Jesus, I pray that this will be the Christmas that you choose to do that. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, but you're choosing to walk away from something because you're weary or you're tired, will you say, Jesus, today, I'm not gonna walk away. There's two choices today that I'm asking people to make. One, if you've always said, I don't know about this Jesus thing because I don't know, God, he's not come through for me lately. And now you get it today. Oh, even though I can't see it, he's working. Would you surrender your heart and your life to him? And then those of you who you're tempted to walk away and disobey, and that's how you're gonna walk away. You're gonna disobey. You're not gonna stay. We say, Jesus, turn my eyes toward heaven. Put my hope only in the Lord. And I'm gonna trust you. Because I know the Christmas story is a reminder that God is with me. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your incredible love to us. To love us so much that um, you allow us to have these stories of how you work and amazing miracles that you bring about. I thank you for the reminder that when we're weary and we're tired from waiting, you promised, as we talked about last week, that you would renew our strength. That you'd help us to soar. You'd help us to run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. God, so many of us, we've looked to other things to deal with our weariness and our tiredness, but that idolatry is just making us more tired. So today, we, we choose to turn our eyes and our hearts back to you. God, for those who've never received you as their Lord and Savior, may this be the morning when they say, Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I ask you to come in my heart, forgive me of all of my sin. I'm gonna quit looking to other things to restore my soul. And I'm only gonna look to you. I'm gonna choose to follow you. Thank you for your forgiveness and your grace. I receive that now. Thank you for this wonderful new relationship that I have with you. All because of your love and your grace. God, for those who call themselves your followers, but they 
They've been weary and they're tired because they've been waiting on something and waiting and waiting. And you're on the verge of walking away. Sam and done. God's not coming through. God, I just pray that today will be a reminder. Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming for all of us because you are with us. And Christmas story reminds us of that, that Emmanuel, God is with us. And you are preparing us and you're preparing the time when you want to give us the answer to that prayer. And in the meantime, may our focus and our hope be in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you made a commitment to Jesus Christ today, before you leave, would you stop by the gallery and just let us know that so we can give you some resources and help you with some next steps? See you next week. Love all of you. Have a great week.